Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 163 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is East Plus West Equals Healing, an interview with Layla Perchel Neal. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, this was a very interesting guest because she was bitten by ticks four separate times before she became chronically ill. And what I found even more interesting is that she was really vigilant about checking for ticks. And even though she was vigilant and did a partner check with her husband, Prior to her fourth tick bite, she didn't find the tick until she rubbed her hand across her back after showering. And Rich, Layla realized that there's so much more to healing from Lyme disease than just antibiotics. As an herbalist, she combined Western and Eastern medicine. She used antibiotics and herbals to overcome Lyme disease while also supporting her liver throughout this process. So Matt, this is a really interesting guest from the UK who's living in Florida, who has brought to us a very interesting perspective, both from the standpoint of how to do a tick check and how to treat yourself if you become chronically ill. So without further ado, I'm really excited to introduce East Plus West Equals Healing to the Tick Bootcamp Podcast community. Hey, Layla, welcome to the podcast. Hiya. So it's really exciting for us at uh, Tick Bootcamp to finally get a chance to interview you. So can you uh, share with our listeners where you currently live? I live in Jacksonville, Florida, which is northeast um, of the state. I am originally from Leicester in the UK. Um, what brings me to Florida is I married a Yank. Um, I met my husband, who's um, a veteran combat cameraman in the Middle East. I was working for Al Jazeera, um, the news channel, and we met and fell for each other over there. And a couple of years later, I'm, I've got my green card and I'm living in Florida. So it's, it, that's been a trip in itself, let alone getting lines for things. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's that's how I arrived in the U.S. But actually, this is not my first first time in the U.S. I've lived here. This is the third time I lived um, in California as a kid and New Jersey as a, as a as a toddler. So I'm not unexperienced with U.S. culture, put it that way. Well, so as it turns out, you've bounced back and forth from one side of the pond to the other. Yeah, pretty much. It's it's. Um, I have been, I have, I'm extraordinarily lucky actually to have lived in different places and cultures. And uh, I think that's one, one, well, many experiences that I, I count as really rewarding and, and educational and have made me who I am today, really. Um, living in, living in the desert for eight years was a, was an incredible experience and working for Al Jazeera. So that, and that led me here. So um, now I'm doing my master's in photography, um, which I started um, during COVID because everything obviously came to a standstill, especially here, especially if you've got a small business and trying to navigate that through. So I stopped trying to gain business and went back to school. So let's, but let's walk this back a little bit because you, you have a fascinating background and I'd like to learn a little bit more about your background. So you said you grew up in the UK. Uh, were you born in the UK and how long did you stay there before you made your first trip to the US and uh, spent some time um, in Jersey? I was born in Leicester in 73. My dad worked in computing. Um, I think it was IBM at that point and he got a gig in the States and so we moved over. Um and so I was like three or four living in New Jersey, went back. And then at 10, 
returned to California when he started his own business. So I lived, I lived in um, Playa del Rey, which is near Marina del Rey, uh, Los Angeles, from 10 to 12, which was like this idyllic kind of two-year America, American dream, really. I, I can't explain it, but it was just like this, you know, this kid from Leicester, suddenly Disneyland's on her doorstep. She's got the beach. She's um, going to an American school, elementary school. Um, you know, no one understood me. I had to repeat myself all the time. <laughs> it was idyllic. It was a lovely time for me and my family. Um, and then my parents decided to move back to Europe. And I... We went back to our hometown, Leicester, which is in the middle of England. It's um, about 100 miles north of London. And I did my formal education there, really. I, you know, graduated and went to university and in, in, I did my first year in York um, at a kind of art history museum. And my first degree was in art history and media studies from De Montfort University in Leicester. And then I went traveling and I think that's when, you know, my love of photography kind of blossomed and my dad gave me an old Pentax 35 millimeter and I went and lived in Vancouver for a year and a half basically. And, and then came back, got jobs, working in photography studios, ended up getting a job at the BBC, um, and kind of having a scattered media career, I've done lots of things within, within that. It wasn't until probably um, 30 and I started working in news and I got my first job basically organising crews. And, that, and that's kind of logistics and getting, getting information as quickly back well as quickly as possible back to the newsroom and working in sports sports news for sky and then that developed into sky news so it's more like logistical operational planning um and it's moving people and, and equipment as quickly as you know all around the all around the place first it started just uk and then you know a little bit more depending on the story and then I got a chance to work in, in Al Jazeera in Doha, um, doing that same thing, but it's called the deployment desk and your operational planning, you're moving cameramen and engineers around the globe and getting their footage back, the news stories, and it's 24-7. It's, it's pretty arduous, pretty exciting at times. Um, and then I started to do photography for them. So that was a that was a real plus. Um, independent of that, I did a, a herbal medicine degree whilst I was doing that because I'm very interested in natural health. So there's my my career is split up between my interests and what jobs seem to come my way. It wasn't a an orchestrated. Um, plan like a lot of people have these days you know it was I was a lot more laissez-faire I think I was very lucky in the sense that you know oh this this looks good do you want to have a go at this oh yeah I'll have a go at that and you know it was it was very much 
not accidental, but less structured than a lot of people um, nowadays. I mean, I do have two stepchildren, teenage stepchildren, and they're so orchestrated in their career plans and know what exactly they're going to do. And I was like, gosh, if I'd done that, maybe maybe I'd be in a different position now. But, you know, that's hindsight. But, um, yeah, I've had a very interesting, um, eclectic kind of path up until this point. Um, you, you sure have. So let, let's hit the pause button there for a second. Um, and why don't you share with us what you knew about ticks and tick diseases from both your experiences um, and your educational experiences in the US and in the UK and professionally. Did you know anything about ticks or anything about Lyme disease? Um, yes, I did, actually. Um, my parents first time I really kind of became aware of Lyme disease was checking for ticks on my dogs in my parents moved to France in gosh early two two four to um 2005 um we had a big brood of animals two dogs two cats and they lived in rural France southwest France and every day after walking the dogs and I'd go visit home, you know, every so often, a couple of times a year. We would be checking Tugi and Teller for ticks, you know. And my dad was really militant about it. He was like, no, we've got to, you know, this is the, these little fuckers, excuse my language, can kill you. They're, they're really bad. So I, I always thought, oh, is, is he being paranoid? You know, what's going on? And I think I first saw an engorged tick on, on my little dog, on my Stafford. And I was, I was interested. I was like, what, what's this all about? But this is way before anything happened to me. The first tick bite I had actually happened in Japan. And I was in Kyoto and... Um, same thing again, you know, got on my clothing and bit and bit me a three hour train journey later where I was staying behind the back of my leg. And my brother removed it. I don't know whether he did it the correct, <laughs> the correct way at this point, but immediately I was, as soon as I got back to Qatar, I went to a doctor and I said, look, I've had a tick bite. Um, there's a little bit of redness to prevent, to mitigate any, I said, can you just get me on antibiotics? Can you get me on some doxy? How old were you then? Sorry? How old were you when you, when you received was, your first tick bite in Japan? Yeah, that was in, I was probably about 40. Yeah, 40, 41, 42. It was, it was, I, I was so militant about it. And this is what kind of is the irony after after getting bit again years later. I was like, I don't want this disease. You know, I'll do everything to, you know. And I just read the, the common literature that you could find at that point. You know, go to the doctors, get tested. He was very laissez-faire and he was like, well, you know, we'll put you on a course of antibiotics, blah, blah, blah. And nothing, and nothing happened. And in fact... You know, I wonder now whether that bite is instrumental in what I have now. I, I wouldn't know that. Um, no, but Leila, I never. 
did the doctor prescribe you the antibiotics? And if so, what antibiotics, yes. what antibiotics and for how long? It was a, it was a week's dose was doxycycline, I believe. Um, this is, this is going way back. And at this point, my knowledge is limited. I think I've done what I need to do to cover myself, you know, and uh, I believe at this point, that's the end of it. Okay. So did you have any health changes between the time that you suffered that tick bite in Japan and then the time that you um, ultimately no, suffered your I next tick bite? I don't think so. Oh, no, I don't think so. But I do, I do know that because Lyme is so tricky and it's so um, masterful in disguising itself. And also if you're relatively healthy, I think that from my experience, and so, you know, this is just from, from how I piece this all together. You can be really, really healthy and you can have that bacteria in your system and it's not creating havoc. It can just be dormant. And I know that from my first American tick bite and then the subsequent, you know, the second, the third, you know, just getting them off me. A, I'm a magnet for ticks, you know, but I'm also a magnet for mosquitoes over here too. I mean, I must have very, very insect-rich sweet blood or something. There must be something that <laughs> that makes me noshable in a in a sense. I know well, the, the know, American. Like, no, the American ticks like to bite the Brits. I think it has to do with where you come from. <laughs> but I. I was at this point when when I got when I got that section of bites which led to this. I was hiking three or four times a week, ten miles. You know, okay, I was very very healthy. Let's pause. Let's pause. So you you have your first tick bite in Japan. You take you take doxycycline for a week. You 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 have no changes in your health. Let's talk about where you are now in your life. Right? Are you are you working for Al Jazeera at that time? Have you met your husband? Yeah, where are I'm you working then? for Al Jazeera. Okay. Working for Al Jazeera, um, working, working incredibly. So, how do I explain it? If you if you if you know the news industry, and if you know if you know working at a news desk, it's twenty four seven. And my job was pretty much being on call twenty four seven. I mean it busy periods it would be hectic and what one of the advantages is we would be able to go and take time we'd have a, a decent amount of holiday incredible amount of holiday and we'd be able to go and travel Doha is an incredible hub to travel from my sister-in-law works at the BBC in, in Singapore my brother's based there she's Japanese so I was in Japan for my niece's first birthday and, you know, I was desperate to see a little bit of Japan. It was my first trip. So I went to Kyoto with my brother. We stayed the night there and I got, I believe that tick came from the bamboo forest. Okay. Um, yeah. So where were you in your herbalist studies? Were you, were you studying herbalism at that time or, was, or did that predate those studies? Right? graduated actually and you know being uh, listen I, I do I know immune boosting herbs we know um all the things you should be taking 
the the issue with herbal medicine is a getting it um, in in the Middle East. I mean, it's not there. It you know a tradition that tradition of Western herbal medicine isn't isn't there. Obviously, they've got their own um, traditional medicine practices, but getting getting medicines like that. But at this point, I wasn't duly concerned. You know, I okay. didn't have the standard issues that you would expect. And I, it's only in reflection do I go, nah, did that kind of, you know, maybe that was the first, there was, there was some transmission of a disease at that point. I don't know, but it happened, the, the development of the disease from those bites in the, in the summer in Florida to now, it must have got me pretty good because, you know, I had been so healthy and doing all of this, you know, kind of healthy eating. I'd, we'd, we'd gone on a diet, my husband and I, we'd lost, we'd lost some weight, we're hiking. And then it was Thanksgiving, we decided to give ourselves a break. So I think that was the first drink I'd had in, in ages. Okay, but let's pause and, there, Layla, let's, let's pause there because I do want to, I want to tie this together. So, so. You, you, you suffered your first tick bite. You, you had completed your, your studies as an herbalist. Were you taking any types of herbal medication or any herbal support at the time you had been bitten by the first tick and after you were bitten by the first tick? I always take herbs. Um, that's part of, you know, I think when you study herbal medicine for the length of time that I have, you understand that you can you know, make a difference to your well-being with the addition of supplements and herbs and medicinal cooking. So I'm... So what herbs were you taking at the time that you had been bitten by the first tick in Japan? And do you believe those herbs helped you to manage the bacteria, the viruses, and the parasites that may have been spit into you from the tick that had bitten you in Japan? That's a fascinating question. And uh, on reflection, I mean, I can't... I haven't got that information. I should imagine knowing me that I was taking a variety of things. I was probably juicing and making herbal smoothies. I always at that time um, was on milk thistle for liver support. Uh, so that would have possibly helped maybe. Um, herbal teas, echinacea, um, you know, vitamin D being in the, ironically being in the desert, you're actually, because it's so hot, you're constantly inside in air, air conditioning. So it's always a good idea to take a vitamin D supplement. Um, I was very health conscious at that point, I think, you know, working out, had a trainer. So, so you, were, you were very healthy. You were training, yeah. you were eating right. You were, you were taking herbal supplements and your body was able to manage whatever was spit into you by that tick. I have another question for so. you. So let me ask you another question. And, and this is always fascinating to us here at Tick Bootcamp is this sort of balance between Eastern and Western medicine. You were an herbalist, you were a trained herbalist, you were taking um, herbal supplements, but you decided you were going to seek prophylactic doxycycline why did you turn to western medicine when you had that first tick bite and why didn't you just stay with um with herbal treatment 
That's a that's a great question. And I actually, gosh, that's a, I wanted because you know, her much of herbal medicine as well is based on orthodox medicine. I was I studied at a university, so it's not we don't categorize it as a hedge witch or a white coat. It's a mixture of the two. You study medicine like you would any other, you know. Um, I believe the best way of treatment is multifactored from different aspects and you combine a lot. I don't believe in a one, um, you know, I don't believe herbs can solve everything. I don't believe orthodox medicine can solve everything. I think you've got to have a balance of mind, body and spirit, literally. And, you know, I went to the most prevalent information at that point possible you know which was if you get it early enough you can stop it and that and that's the general consensus and I believe it still is is you is you can stop this if you if you get it quick enough at that point I don't even think that doctor in Doha knew exactly what Lyme was you know I, I mean I had to present the information to him I had to say look this is what I believe here's the the, the location of the bite, it's red. You know, I could have had it way, way before. I just didn't know. And at this point, I'm, okay, I'm ignorant about Lyme compared to now. You know, I just go to the, the most recent information. I go to my medical books, you know, at this point, and I'm like, Okay, I think probably at the time of the bite, I was like, I better boost my immune system up as well. And so I probably went and got over the counter or I probably had, you know, this is years, years back. So, I, you know, I'm I'm fudging my memory a bit, but I'm, I probably got, you know, an immune tonic in my fridge or something. And, um, you know, I'd be like, okay, let's boost your immune system up. And those are the, these are just kind of sensible kind of measures that you would that you would personally take you think when you take a cold what do you do you gargle with salt or you start taking echinacea or you know you start getting fresh orange juice whatever you do to your personal style of of health of maintaining your health that's what you do and so it's only now that we're talking about this I go oh my goodness maybe I had it for much longer than before but I just was keeping it in remission I was managing it and that's essentially, managing it. yeah and that's essentially what I think many people do they manage it and then it's incidents and you know you've got points in your life where your health does suffer you've got the stress of COVID and what that's done for everybody mentally as well as lack of you know it's it's put us into one spot we're less active I think generally people are less active. Um, so but let's, let's pause there for a second. So yeah. there, there are a number of different events that are happening in life. So you now meet your husband, mm -hmm. you move, you move to the U S you're now living in Jacksonville, Florida, and you begin to enjoy the outdoors life that's available to folks who live in your part of the country. And you start to go hiking, right? And Please. during these hiking trips, you find yourself getting reinfected at least three separate times. So can you talk to us about each time you were bitten by the tick um, during the time that you were living in Jacksonville and what you did each time you were bitten by a tick? Um, okay. 
the first the first bite was the first memorable bite the bite that gave me the classic um two-day flu fever feeling rotten bedridden um was the bite in the in the belly button but you know here's the thing I didn't feel a thing I didn't know I'd been bit and it wasn't until I was lying in bed and I rubbed my hand over my tummy and there's a bump and I'm like oh what's that and I'm like oh bloody hell and we get it out and at this point yes this is exactly when you should keep the tick isolate it put it in a Ziploc bag or a little jar and get it tested. And did you do that? No, I didn't. I didn't know I had to do that. That's the point. I didn't know. And it's the ignorance of this disease, the, the lack of information that is really, I, I think the problem of where most people, you know, you get Lyme, it shouldn't be a problem. You should, there should be a, a set protocol for people to do. And I think this is where you two are, you know, you're setting that up for people. You're establishing a protocol that people know what to do. I didn't know what to do. It wasn't until the fifth bite that I went, ah, oh, shit, I think I know what this is now. Even with my, you know, knowledge of disease and, and health and herbs, and, you know, I didn't know because I didn't have the, the bullshit thing about the bull ring, you know, rash, you know, that's the first thing that anybody says to you. Have you got that? You know, the that's, that's the, the clue that everybody seems to associate the disease with. I didn't have, that didn't present itself. Yes, there was a tiny rash on the back of my leg back in Japan. Yes, there was a tiny rash on my belly button. But it wasn't what the medical books present. You know, you look, you go, have I got that? No. So you, you immediately go, oh, okay. It doesn't, it doesn't look, you know, you, you make that assumption. It is an assumption. I now know that not to be the case. But Layla, if after you. tick even touch it. But after you. Now. now you find this tick, the first of your three tick bites in the U.S. You find this tick on your, on your belly. Now it sounds to me like the locating of the sick was more of a coincidence. Were you doing tick checks? Were you looking for this? Or is that just something you just rubbed your hand across your belly and found it? do that as a standard you know um after we go hiking we take our clothes off we put them in the washer we do it we we do it in our walks in our hikes you know dan and i will literally go let's have a tick check you know okay. we do that absolutely now i mean you know every half an hour like okay let's have a standard check especially especially for the dogs you know unfortunately one of my dogs also um contracted limes as well you know, my dog has lines too. Um, so let's stay. It, let's stay in a let's stay in a timeline together. I I, I don't want to lose the timeline. So you okay. you 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 now have suffered your first tick bite in the U.S. You found it on your stomach. Did you follow the same path you did after your tick bite in Japan? Meaning, did you go to a doctor and seek doxycycline? And did you did you about, start to take it, immune bo boosting herbs? No, I didn't. No, I didn't. And and this is you know. I'm not even ashamed. I, I am. I questioned it. I, I remember having a conversation with with my husband and saying, 
you know what, I wonder if this is Lyme's. And, you know, after the initial kind of fever and tube, I, you know, you just, lots of things were going on at this point. We were very, very busy. I think doing, you know, I just I felt I started to get better. I got better quite quickly. Um, the rush, the rush, the rash dissipated, it went. And I just, I didn't think anything of it. You okay. know, I just got on with, there wasn't, there was nothing else. I wasn't having pain or, you know, it was just, oh, whatever. Right. So, so you had, you had acute symptoms. They went away. Yeah. You're, you're otherwise healthy. You go on with your life. It, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the next bite. When's the next time you get bitten when you're living in the U.S.? I've got a bite under my bra line. Um, and I was just like, you know, at this point, I'm like, oh, fuck's sake, here we go again, you know, <laughs> get it out. Doesn't do anything. It's not, there's no redness. And I'm just like, oh, you know, get on with it. I also admit, and this is, this is important to know, I'm phobic of normal doctors. I don't like the process. Um, when I first got here, not to digress, but had had a big health issue and had some major um, difficulty with the health, the orthodox health profession. So I'm slightly like, oh God, I don't want to go to an American doctor. I don't like the process. It's always such a faff. It's so different from the UK. Um, anyway, it wasn't until the last tick bite that it all started to present itself. And I went, God, you've missed a trick here. You have been stupid. You've, you've probably got lungs. So talk um, about that third tick bite. Where were you when you found the tick and what had you been doing prior to discovering the third tick biting you? I was in the shower. Because you see, here's the other thing. They're also so stealth that yeah the last tick bite it hurt it absolutely was like being bit i could feel it the other two i don't feel a thing you know so, i don't know how long it was on my body where did you locate the tick biting meaning what part of your body was the tick biting you on and did you discover it because you were doing a tick check in the uh shower or was it just coincidental that you discovered the tick it was coincidental i'd done a tick check i think i think the the problem that I've had is that they hide themselves in the creases of your clothes and it's easy to, it's easy to miss them. You okay, have so, to be really um, so vigilant. So let's pause there. This, that's, this is an important point. So you had done a tick check and didn't find the tick. You yeah. went into the shower and then discovered the tick. So talk to us about what your tick check entailed and why do you believe you missed the tick that you found in the shower. Because let's face it, you know, we aren't going over our bodies with, with um, your magnifying glasses. You know, it's easy to miss a little section of your body. Yeah, you're checking your clothes. You take your clothes off, you put them in the wash. You're in your undies, you take your undies off, you jump in the shower. You know, you do, you do a check. Now, how, how thorough you are depends on what, you know, 
I think I did a basic, oh, let's just do a, you know, a check. I didn't, you know, there's crevices in your body. There's, there's little areas that you, you're going to miss. Well, but was this, tick, was this tick in a crevice that you wouldn't have checked? It was, it was underneath my bra line near my armpit, you know. So, it, yes, I could have easily missed it. And it was tiny. It wasn't big. It was a little, little minute bump. So let's stay with that. So when you did your first tick check, was that a visual check where you were looking at yourself and looking in a mirror with a magnifying glass or something else, or was it something else? No, 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 it wasn't that. It, I felt it. I felt a bump. All right, that's a, in the shower you felt it. But I'm saying yeah. when you did your first tick check, after you said you did a tick check before you went into the shower and you didn't find the, the tick. Did you did you just visually check yourself the first time and then did a visual check and missed it? Okay. So the difference between the first check and the second check is the first check was a visual check and you didn't see it because it was too small. The mm. second check or the second time when you did locate it, you felt the tick because your yes. fingers ran across it while yes. you were in the shower. Exactly. Okay. So now after you find the tick, you remove the tick. Did you save the tick? No, I didn't know. I didn't even know that was a thing at this point. Okay. Did you call a doctor and get a dose of psych, uh, a, a course of doxycycline? No. no, I didn't because I wasn't, again, I'm following, I'm following this orthodox standard procedure that I've got in my head, which is I'm looking for a, a bullseye, bullseye rash. Yeah. Okay. So let's, so how did your health change from that point forward? Because it sounds like you, this is when you finally become. Yeah, this is when I, this is clear. when I'm waking up to it. Um, the, okay. So what happened? So I'm, I've mentioned that I was at this point, very healthy. I'm doing all this exercise. It's thank holiday season is upon us. Thanksgiving happens from Thanksgiving to Christmas. We're a little bit more lax and I, I'm drinking, I'm drink, I'm, I'm having a glass of wine. I'm having a cocktail. It's, you know, I'm having more sugar. So I've gone from this really, and it's Christmas and we've decided to just lighten up a bit and stop, stop being so healthy. You know, like, okay, we can, you know, chill out a bit. And it wasn't until Christmas. And this is when I really, I was like, I was like, I don't feel good. I just, I just, I remember having a conversation with my parents who'd been in Europe and I just said to my dad, I don't feel very well. I said, I can't put my finger on it. I just don't have energy. My thinking isn't clear. I'm waking up with burning soles in my feet. <laughs> At this point, you know, I'm thinking, could I be pre-diabetic? Although I'd been doing all that exercise and lost weight. I'm like, okay, age. I'm looking at all the classic indications of what, what could be wrong with me. I know something's up though at this point. I like, I'm, I'm like, well, there's something not quite right. Okay, let's, just pa me. let's pause there again. So now you've now been bitten by at least four ticks. You, you've had you've had at least one acute reaction to tick bites and now there's some time between your fourth tick bite or your third american tick bite and when you're not feeling well now let's focus on whether or not there are any immune disrupting events you started to talk a little bit about maybe some lifestyle changes where you did some zigging and zagging where 
you were very healthy and then it was the holidays and you started to drink a little bit and you started to take in some sugar and those mm -hmm. kinds of things. Were there any other immune disrupting events, stresses or anything else going on in your life between the last tick bite and when you started to get sick uh, in that holiday season? Yeah, yeah, I have um, the last few years in my, in my family life has been particularly stressful. Um, my brother's dealing with medullary thyroid cancer. Um, he lives in Singapore, the stress of worrying about him. Also, um, I'd had this, this health event when I first came to the US without getting into the details of that, that was incredibly stressful, incredibly stressful and that's taken um, a long, long time to, you know, over the last three, three years has taken considerable toll. So yes, I think stress is the ultimate trigger or the, the switch. I think stress is the switch here. Um, there's only so much, we know this about ourselves, there's only so much stress a body mentally and physically can, can withstand. And then suddenly processes start to break, you know, your immune system becomes less robust, you, you're more tired, you know, there are, there are all sorts of things that, you know, as it's funny, as trained as a herbalist, we don't isolate things. We, we, we see, we try to find the big picture of, of everything because we're made up of systems that create a system, you know, we're, we're multi-dependent on those things. And I think with all the stress going on and, and having, you know, a fairly busy life, even though I'm not working in a newsroom anymore, but, you know, just getting used to America, family life, you know, what everybody enjoys, what everybody experiences. We Teenage don't have children. Yeah, we don't. Um, <laughs> we don't look at, you know, it's not until you stand back in hindsight, or you stand back from a position of reflection and you try and piece this puzzle together. I wasn't in the position at that point to, to have that perspective. It wasn't until that Christmas, um, Christmas before the one we just had, that I literally, you know what? I am missing, I have been a little bit short-sighted here. This has presented itself quite clearly, you're sick. You, you have got something inside you that is is not working that is creating a myriad of issues and this is and you know and damn it if I had gone immediately after the first bite you know I don't know what where I would have gone or I went to after the initial diagnosis as in the the, the one I had to fight for you know literally like I've had a tick I've had several tick bites some of them I've had little rashes too I want to be referred to an infectious disease doctor so I can get some blood tests I had to argue for that I had to fight I had to get shitty with the doc with the ER doctor you know he completely passed it off, it off as I didn't know what I was talking about and I remember distinctly saying sir you are not in my body. You do not know how I feel. I know something is wrong with me. I have, I should have done this earlier. I haven't. I'm trying to do something about it now. 
I need you to support me. I need to have blood tests. He again argued with me. And it wasn't until he went out of the room, obviously on his little laptop. And he and I said to him, do you know the average incident? Not everybody has a bull ring rash. I said, this is the biggest misinformation that we have about this. I was like, you don't even need to have anything. You know, please, I need this ruled out. And even, and he, I think I even said to him, even if it doesn't show, I know something's wrong with me. Please listen to me. And I just left that, that consultation pissed off, unconfident, feeling very disrespected. Um, and I had explained, look, I've got a Bachelor of Science in, in you know, herbal medicine. I study medicine, I mean, oh, I've studied medicine pretty much in the early court, in the early, you know, kind of beginnings of the education of this, like you have. Please don't treat me like an idiot. I know that there's something wrong with me because I haven't, okay, I haven't kept a diary. Who keeps a health diary unless you're completely brilliant and, you know, anal and whatever. I just know that something's wrong. Something's changed. Some, you know, my, I can't find my words anymore. This, you know, there's sometimes when I'm just like, oh, I'm foggy. I've got brain fog. You know, I didn't know brain fog was a thing until this. You know, I'm just like, oh, can't, can't find the words. I've got burning feet pain. I'm feeling faint at four o'clock in the afternoon every day for about a week and a half. There's something wrong. Lil, this yeah. is an, this is this is a really important tip for people listening. You recognize these new symptoms that can be correlated to Lyme. You recognize that something wasn't right, and despite a doctor telling you it's not Lyme and dismissing you, you fought for yourself and you advocated for yourself, and because of that, you got the proper referral and the proper diagnosis far sooner than many of our other guests who wouldn't fight for themselves and would go decades before getting a proper diagnosis. So I think you should reflect on that and realize how strong you were and are to get that diagnosis as soon as you did, despite the doctors working against you. But that's backed up by the fact that I had had several bites and I had my, you know, okay, my awareness was probably not as fast as it could have been, but at least I'd got to that point where, you know, it wasn't until that final bite, which was in my arm, that I just was like, oh, for God's sake, I, you know, it was almost like a tick literally was talking to me and going, will you, will you get yourself checked out for God's sake? You know, how many times do we have to tell you? It was huge. It was engorged in, you know, and it was stuck in my arm. At this point, when we finally got everything out, and my mum, my mum-in-law, who's a nurse practitioner, she did it for me. There wasn't really anything to save it was just you know and it wasn't it wasn't until then and then after getting my you know that initial diagnosis and then fighting for a weak prescription of doxycycline that's when I go onto social media and start investigating find out about you guys find out about other sufferers and getting getting up to date with what to do you know because it's not your your protocols or you know what people who are suffering that that's not in medical literature at the moment that's not standard you know this is this is 
sorry, excuse my language, the bullshit of this disease. Look at the, the call to arms to sort COVID out. What about limes? There's, there's nothing. My biggest, my biggest question about limes is the major effects of lime are neurological, and yet it's bacterial. It's like, no, it's got to be bacterial, viral at the same point. Or the, there's all sorts of indications where you go, they've got this all wrong anyway. Well, Leila, I'm going to interrupt you again there because you're giving so much good information, right? And another tip you gave us earlier on is that people that have been bitten by a tick and haven't taken the proper steps, they should learn from that. If they're bitten by a tick, save it, send it away for testing, get blood work a few weeks later, and potentially consider taking prophylactic herbal or antibiotic protocols, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, here's the other thing that you don't know straight off the bat is about the co-infections. So second to Lyme, you've got to worry about all the, the, the other stuff, you know, Borrelia, Bartonella, um, I believe that I've got, and it hasn't been, so going back to the initial situation with the, with the infectious disease doctor, he tested me for various things. And I assumed he would test me for everything. No, you have to literally go there with the bloody list yourself and go, I want to be tested for this, this and this, which requires you to be knowledgeable. Not everybody has that. Not everybody's going to know even about these counter counter diseases. So I think Bartonella got ruled out, but babesiosis. I I don't think. I think I think I'm into where I am in my health journey right now. Is I have with with the last year. Um, I left on a bad note with this infectious disease doctor because he tried to give me. Um, arthritis medication and I refused I said no I don't have I don't have that I have Lyme and therefore I want to be tested for every counter infection going and because I had refused this medication I said look the side of I read the side effects of this arthritic pain medication one of them was huge hemorrhaging in the stomach and I was like I don't want to take that that's rubbish I'm going to make myself more poorly you know, and bearing in mind, I'm slightly, I'm slightly not paranoid, but I'm slightly skeptical of a medical profession that's based on profit. You know, and, and, and I totally agree, Layla. And and one really, again, you're just giving us so many great tips for people listening. And I wish I had these when I first got sick. I was only tested for Lyme disease. I wish when I first got sick, I was tested for all of the co-infections, but I wasn't until much later on, many years later. And it's not just bacteria like Lyme disease, as you noted, a tick can spit many different things into you, bacteria, viruses, parasites, and a wide variety of each of those categories. And if we don't get properly tested or potentially even clinically diagnosed by a specialist, we may not get better or as well as we can because we're ignoring other pieces to the puzzle and we're just focusing on Lyme disease. And it sounds like that's what your infectious disease doctor did. And you knew more than him and you challenged him and you said, I want to get tested for all of these other co-infections as well. And did he eventually test you for all of the co-infections you requested? He, he, we did another test. Um, and we did, yeah, we did another test and I got tested for babiosis and Bartonella and it was Quest Diagnostics. And one of them, I'd have to go and check, I'd have to go and check which one's which, I can do that later. But one of them came back negligible, one of them came back negative. 
But what I had said to the doctor was, I said, you know, ticks are not tick, ticks and Lyme and all the other co-infections. I was explaining the biofilm um, concept to him, and I was like, it does go and hide. It 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 it's it's like this master stealth little fucker that goes into your system and then wreaks havoc and then it becomes invisible. Well, Lila, think about what you just said. You had to explain to an infectious disease doctor how Lyme disease behaves in the human body. Well, yeah, but this is the joke. This is why the most important message you can get out to your audience is you need to go to a Lyme literate doctor. Yes. That is n- rule number one. Don't, don't waste your time because you will waste your time. You'll waste your time. And what is the average... $3,000 later, you still haven't got a bloody diagnosis. It's shocking. You shouldn't, you know, luckily through my husband, I have medical insurance. Okay, that's another issue, whether you're going to be covered for this process. Um, that initial doctor's visit to get the diagnosis, to get the referral to the infectious disease doctor cost over $1,000. That's crazy. You should be able to go to a medical professional and go, I've had a bite. There's something wrong. Can you, can I get tested? What I should have perhaps done is gone and just gone to Quest and say, right, what are the line, what's your line profile and gone and, you know, and this is, this is my biggest, um, you know, the biggest thing that, that irks me about this whole experience of mine is that, you have to fight, you have to fight a doctor to be let to be heard you know there's this white coat just oh i know no they don't know everything you know a g- general practitioner is not going to know everything about anything unless they specialize in, in whatever their, their you know their interests are well it's even it's even deeper than that hmm. Your infectious disease doctor, who should be a Lyme specialist, Lyme is an infectious disease, did not know enough about Lyme to help you. You knew more about Lyme disease than your infectious disease doctor. So it's not just a general practitioner. It's across the board in the medical community where we need better awareness for this, these, these horrible tick-borne diseases, not just Lyme disease. And, and you, again, it, it comes back to self-advocation. You are, again, learning, researching, studying, bringing it back to your doctor and advocating to yourself to improve your health. So you are the reason that you're getting these tests and treatments to get better. And, and that, that's, in, that's indicated because yes, I do. I have studied medicine. I have studied, you know, at some level health, you know, and I also am a fairly, you know, I'm fairly sensitive as in, you know, health, I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to penicillin. Um, I was a premature baby. I've been, I've had various illnesses throughout my life. I'm fairly sensitive. I know when something's wrong, you know, I'm intuitive too. I'm like, it took, unfortunately it took so many bites and it was, it wasn't until proper symptoms actually presented themselves. And I went, Oh, bloody hell. I know what this is let me get let me let me deal with this 
and, and you know your body best. You have a background in herbal medicine and medicine. You were bit by ticks in various different continents, and yet the doctor still didn't think you had Lyme in the beginning. So talk to us once you finally won with the fight to get to an infectious disease doctor, and this infectious disease doctor ran the test and you had positive Lyme disease. What was the treatment protocol prescribed to you by your infectious okay. disease doctor? At this point, everything's going well. He listens to me. He's like, he's like, yeah, let's get you tested. And then one of the Lyme profiles came back and it was, yeah, I, I've got an antibody in my, in my blood. And he agreed and he goes, okay, standard protocol is doxycycline. Let's, let's get you on it. And I was like, fine, you know. For, for how long this in, in the beginning how long was this oh, God, first he a month, which was hellish and then he gave me two more months so in total oh. three months of doxycycline okay, let's back was, up though you said that the first month was hellish describe that for us. so you were sick with lyme disease you started doxycycline and the first month was hellish so describe for us what that means to those who are listening and they're at that point in their journey to understand that sometimes you may feel worse before you get better and and to learn from your experience well, at this point, the doctor didn't explain to me about the Herx sign or the Herx results of the bacteria dying and due to the um, doxycycline and what happens and the detoxification of that bacteria coming out in your body and your joints is, is hellish. It's painful. It's hot, flaring, almost like an electrical sensation and you have to be incredibly prepared for that. Otherwise, you're just going to be like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And it is. It's terrible. Um, I quickly learned that actually diet is a huge part of this and you've got to eradicate or you've got to take out of your diet certain things that is going to make stuff worse. Like so what, Leila? What, what food specifically should people eliminate when they're getting treated for Lyme? Alcohol are the two triggers for me. So I you can, Sugar and alcohol, you said? I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah, sugar and alcohol are the two things that cause me the biggest issues. Um, obviously, it's very sensible not to drink anything when you're taking antibiotics anyway. So, of course, I wasn't at this point. But um, I think... You, you've got to go clean. You've got to get fresh fruits and vegetables and smoothies and fresh juices and tons of celery. And um, you've got to cut out processed food. You've got to give your body a bloody chance to heal itself. And that's essentially what, what the alternative literature says about this disease. You've got to be really sensible about what you put in your body whilst you're trying to heal from this. And again, this is your self-advocation. You learn this from your studies and research about a clean diet and clean eating and no sugar and no alcohol to offset the negative side effects from the treatment that were necessary to heal. Now, did your infectious disease doctor talk to you about anything beyond antibiotics, such as opening up detox pathways and things like that to help offset some of these things and purge the toxins? He was not. I asked him, are you Lyme literate? And he didn't really even know what that meant. I even I even sent him Lyme literature. I sent him the Tick Bible and, you know, and it was like, you really need to get 
on the program because I thought this would be the doctor of my choice. I thought this would be the guy that would help me. He wasn't. And I now am in a position where I actually, the next thing that I will do is try and find a Lyme literate doctor, somebody that um, can help me. I was hoping that I could um, maybe get a consultation with Bill Walls, um, who seems to know exactly what, what the... Well, we, can, we can tell you, Leila, that we actually have a, a close friend of ours who just had a consultation with Bill Rawls. I think it was two weeks ago, Rich, um, two weeks ago, and had, had a, a, a really, really great outcome with that. And as everybody who's listening probably knows, and you probably know, Leila, we are huge fans of Bill Rawls, and we highly recommend a consult with Dr. Rawls. He's just brilliant. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I, think, I think there's so much you can do for yourself. You know, this is, this is the point, but this is for anybody with any disease or any health issue, this is, this is where we've got to get, we can't, we have got to stop relying on this white coat, you know, they, doctors know. I also think there's an issue with all the misinformation on the internet as well. And I think that, you know, this is part of the, the problem that we face is really knowing what to do and how to go about it. But also if you're not happy, remember this is your dime paying for this. If you're not happy with how you're being treated or the information you're being given or some kind of thing doesn't add up, you've got to, you've just got to go and deal with it and find somebody that will listen, find somebody that is supportive and that is your advocate. And that, you know, actually probably the best, the best person is somebody who's actually had the disease themselves. They have that experience. So therefore they have the empathy and the compassion to look at, look at you as a person and treat you as a person, not just a number, not getting, you know, the quota, for the drug, you know, how much doxy you're going to give and all the rest of it. I was on doxycycline for three months. Now this is important to note for everybody. Three months of doxycycline, messes your liver up. My ALT enzymes went through the roof massively. I'm What's, still- what are, what are those enzymes? Are they, are they liver indicators? Yeah, they're liver indicators. And my, doc, my doctor at the time said to me, well, yeah, risk and reward. He was really blase about it. And I was like, but that's an issue, no? He's like, well, your numbers aren't that. I said, they're over, they're over the normal range. That's happened since you put me on this prescription. And this is when I started to kind of feel like some, this isn't going as well as it should be or as you predicted. And what happened after the initial three months of doxycycline was that the, the pain which I was experiencing. So the pain really is that I have experienced is hips, hands, feet and neck. That's initially the the presentation of the kind of art, what I would assume arthritic, heat flares, aches and pains. Lila, can you describe the, the pain in more detail? Because, you know, for example, we've had people describe neck pain in different ways. So how can you describe how that pain impacted your life and how it yeah. affected you from living um, your day-to-day activities? I, I'm a photographer and I take pictures practically every day. So I carry cameras around my neck. One of them sometimes you know, telephoto lens, it's quite heavy. So initially, I just thought, oh, this is from carrying the camera, you know, sensible, logical assumption. It's like, oh, this is just, this is just wear and tear, you know. 
the okay the, the pain that is worse is in my fingers and my hands especially around the wrist area it's it feels like burning it feels like a subtle dull burn that is just incredibly uncomfortable and yeah it does it's not limiting i can still use my hands i can still you know focus my camera it's but it's uncomfortable it's just it you know but you could if you use a computer every day you could think oh is it rsi you know this is the, this is the problem all of these symptoms that can come through from a tick bite are you know there could be there could be so many other things you know so many people get misdiagnosed but Leila, i think you again another huge tip here is Lyme disease can have hundreds of symptoms, many of which mimic other diseases, which get misdiagnosed and prevent people from getting a proper diagnosis. And another, another tip that you gave us earlier, which I think is really, really powerful, is that for people that are sick with late stage or chronic Lyme, they should be seeing Lyme later doctors who have had Lyme themselves because they know how to treat you the best. And we've interviewed some, some Lyme doctors like Dr. Casey Kelly and Dr. Brownbush and Dr. Bill Rawls, who we recommend to our listeners because they've had Lyme and they've been able to overcome Lyme. And now they've helped, they're helping countless people with, with Lyme disease. We've also in, interviewed now a Lyme psychiatrist, um, Dr. Ken Savalos, who is now seeing patients as a Lyme literate psychiatrist. And these are the doctors that are helping people the most compared to traditional doctors. That's a really another important tip that you gave us. And the final tip I just want to recap that you gave us, because there's so many just gold pieces here that you're, you're describing for us, is that there's so much misinformation out there. We have a very smart friend and we know very smart people who just don't understand chronic Lyme because of all the misinformation out there on the internet and in these publications. And I know people who live in Florida who say Lyme disease doesn't exist in Florida because there's, okay, and, and, so I, and I'm like, what? And you're living proof that it does. I was told too. I literally was told by an env environmental biologist or um, someone who studied an ecologist here. They said to me, well, that's weird. This, you know, the, in the, the prevalence of, of tick and line here is really low and i just i'm like that's bullshit how do you know i mean these these myths that are passed around and then they get bigger and bigger and then you know that might have been from that that might have been from 20 years ago but that they prevail and actually this is the most important thing is that you go to somebody that actually knows what they're talking about and it's not it's done purposefully it's just polite ignorance you can't be an expert on everything you need to go to somebody who knows this disease and that is advice to go to for anybody with any anything you have to find somebody that knows what they're talking about this is an issue that my brother with his with his cancer diagnosis had. it took so it's five years of like somebody not really knowing knowing the disease properly before we find help proper help so going back to the Lyme community this is what you've got to do this is what everybody has to do they have to find a Lyme literate doctor or at least an infectious disease doctor that knows a little bit you know to start the process to start the journey it's not like a one-stop shop clearly I don't think anybody's had a one-stop shop I mean, it took me a year and a half to find out about Bill Rawls. It took me a year and a half or two years to find out about you guys. 
you know it and that's only through me being curious and nosy and checking things out and trying to find information not accepting a cart a, a carte blanche and saying okay well this guy knows what he's talking about i'm okay and then you know god forbid 20 years time you're incapacitated well, you've got those are the traits that people are going to have that have success in treating Lyme disease. You are curious, you're researching, you're trying different therapies, and you're investigating what's out there in the community to get yourself better. So those are good traits. Unfortunately, you have to do that on your own, but you've made incredible progress as a result of your curiosity and research that you've done. But I do want to go back to your second and third month of antibiotics before we, we go on to the, the next step there. You, your first month was hell because you weren't properly prepared about, about Herxheimer reactions. Describe for us your second and third months on oral antibiotics and doxycycline. Did you start to feel better? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, the reactions from the antibiotics lessened. I was, I, was, I was helping myself more. I was, okay, so I went kind of a bit more left field, read the medical mediums take on mimes, juice celery for a bloody month, and actually, it made huge improvement. I, I was cleaning my liver, basically. So, you know, your liver process is everything. You've got, to, you've got to keep your body in check while you're dealing with this. You know, um, I was doing Epsom bath salt, you know, Epsom baths every day, um, which helped immeasurably. I mean, you know, but... And, and, and Layla, when you were done with the three months because you started to have your, your liver issues, did you just continue on with all of these other therapies that you were doing that you learned on your own? Well, and then, you know, let's face it, it gets really, it gets really tough. You know, who wants to drink celery juice continually? And, you know, sometimes you have a bad, you have a bad day and you want a glass of wine. I mean, you, we are human and there are, there are things where you've got to just have a sliding scale with yourself and go, do you know what? I need a bit of help here or I need some respite. And, you know, I, since this, I take CBD to help me sleep. The biggest impact of Lyme for me was the interference with sleep. And of course, that is the biggest problem in itself, because if you're not getting enough sleep, you're not going to ever get a chance to get better. You're going to be cranky. You're going to be, you know, there were some nights in that first couple of months with, with the antibiotics where I'd fall asleep at 5 a.m. because I would be having flares through the night. And, you know, I'd, I'd get myself to a point where I was like, okay, I'm about to fall asleep. And then that your brain, you know, the transmitters that get interrupted through the bacteria sleep you know sleep is a critical function I mean we can't survive without it so if your sleep is just screwed up because of this that's that's got to be one of the main things you've got to try and normalize or optimize is getting good sleep good diet good sleep you, you've got to otherwise you haven't got hope and help it's Emily, just going to get worse and worse and worse you've given us so much good information beyond the antibiotics you've developed this sort of these protocols and these combinations of different things to help you heal this, this this healing framework that worked for you for Layla and it's clearly is working pretty well now when you finished your three months of antibiotics are you still treating are you still seeing your infectious disease doctor or are you just now yeah, presently just working I mean, with these alternatives stress, stress is an indicator um 
like I probably had a couple of weeks or three weeks of actually just, you know, since the Lyme diagnosis, I wake up not feeling perky and happy and jolly. I wake up feeling like, oh God, aches and pains, but they go pretty quickly. And I've got used to that. The biggest indicator for me is when my hands hurt, you know, suddenly they just, I can describe it like I'm, I've suddenly got 90 year old hands. They're old, they, they feel old, they're not strong, they hurt, it's, it's painful. And at Easter, I had a, you know, I had a gin and tonic and that's what did it. You know, a gin and tonic and I've still got a, a very heavily taxed liver that I'm that I'm I'm taking berberine at the moment to help me with that. And um I've, my cholesterol went up as a result of my liver not being optimum. So I'm trying to deal with that at the moment. I also think that you've got to be really aware of how your body works and you can overtax your body. You can put too much in your system so you know you might have a great combination of herbs but your body still your liver still has to process them you know you've got to treat this as medicine so sometimes less is more you know sometimes just go gentle take teas drink your juices you know the medical mediums um protocol is really interesting um and he questions the same thing. He's like, why is this considered a bacterial disease when it's when the major symptoms are neurological, you know? And I that was my biggest question. I was like, this none of this makes sense. This pattern doesn't make sense. Um well, like, I'm sorry, you... Epstein Barr virus very much into this pattern, into this presentation. I had that as a kid. I had glandular fever at 16. So the more you learn about this, the more you you learn that it's not just one thing. There's layers. It's like an onion, and your healing is like that too. You go so far, and then you then you come back, and then you go and do something else, and then you take another layer off, and you're a bit better. But it's a continual maintenance. It's not suddenly like you take these this doxycycline and you're done. You've got to maintain a level of health and awareness because, you know, you might have triggers and stresses that bring it back. Well, I hope you reflect after this interview back on your journey and realize how far you've come and how how integral you are to your healing journey. You've done all this research. You've realized that this is a full systemic problem, not just a, a one treatment and done solution. And because of your own hard work, you are in a much better place. And you, you know, you may, we have these ups and downs, but you clearly are as a whole in a much better place than when you began, which leads me to my final question before I hand it back to Rich. If you had to assess your health today compared to where you were when you first got sick, what percentage would you say you are recovered from Lyme disease? Physically, I'd say 65%. 60. Um, I'm aware that it's still there. I'm aware that it's up to me to mitigate and protect myself. Um, 
I believe that the mind-body continuum is really important and healthy visualization and meditation and and more wellness practices are so important here too. Um, I think you have to make some really difficult choices. Now, not everybody's going to give up drink. Not everybody's going to give up, you know, eating the way that they're normally used to. Um, it's also expensive to be so healthy. And that's a big consideration for a lot of people. Um, you know, I, it's just, it's difficult. Being healthy is hard. It's, um, I, my next step on my journey for me is finding a Lyme literate physician who that can, that can actually take me to the finish line or take me further down the track where I can become more skilled at looking after myself. And, you know, I could go, I could go back to all my herbal books and get tonics made and, and all the rest of it. But that's in an environment that I could do in the UK very easily. Here is a lot harder. Um, and also, you know, sometimes you need to let, you need to let someone do the work for you. You need to, you need another facilitator to help. You can't do it all on your own. It's, it's too hard. There are some days when you've had a shitty day, you want a glass of wine and a bar of chocolate or whatever you want to do. You know, you ca we can't live so rigidly. Um, and, you know, I, I get tricked. Lyme is so tricky. Here's the thing. You, you might not have had a symptom for a while. You think, oh, okay, I'm doing okay. I'm going to go out, you know, some glasses of fizz and, a and t in the next two days you can't use your hand and that's it's stuff like that that you've got to be aware of now I actually I hardly drink at all I don't I don't touch it not that I was anywhere near an alcoholic before but you know I'd drink wine every day I'd have a glass of wine every day with dinner you know I'd, I'd enjoy it now I, I'm just like no way no thanks. My biggest my biggest dependency is coffee now, and because of waking up in the morning just feeling groggy, and that might be you know an after effect of CBD or whatever. But I I would struggle without a good cup of coffee, you know. But then you know you're probably talking about most most people in the population feel that way because coffee is so addictive. But you know. I think there's so much we can do for ourselves, but then you do need a professional advocate too. And you need someone that knows what they're doing, someone that actually gives a shit um, because they know exactly how difficult this is. You know, it's disgusting that we have to almost do this for ourselves, that you have to create this body, this media body to get it out there. And, there are some incredible people that have had terrible time, you know, over 10 years or they've had Lyme most of their life. And it's, you know, they're sharing their stories and it's becoming more, it's becoming easier to find information. But you're having, you're doing this, not the medical profession. In, in This medical profession is tribal. It's not like this helpful you know it's, it's difficult you have to find your person or your team 
And that's the hardest part of it in itself is to find someone that is going to help. You know, I, I had, I had interest within this that made it maybe more accessible to me because I knew where to look or, you know, I was, I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't fit any normal pattern. Um, and, you know, I literally had a tick talking to me at the end of it going, will you get yourself checked? I mean, that's how I view it. It was so evident. It was like, oh my God, how many bites do you have to have before you realise you've got something wrong with you? And I should have done that sooner, but I didn't. It didn't, it didn't click. It's when you click and you go, ah, damn it. But also, you know, Borrelia and Bartonella and all those other things and Lyme, you know, it's not necessarily a tick bite, is it? You know, can it be carried by other vectors? Can you get it from being pricked by a rose thorn gardening? You've got to be aware that there are 101 things out there. I mean, I love nature. I'm, you know, I go out, even today, I go out in the garden, barefooted gardening, you know, but I am more aware and I do, you know, when put it like this, when we go hiking, we have a protocol now. We have our permethrin. We know exactly what we're doing. Even if it's a really hot day, I will wear sleeves. I won't wear shorts, you know? I just, double socks, decent hiking boots. Flip-flops, T-shirt and, and sh walking and the trails in Florida, no, that's really, really stupid. And also, you know, when I, as a photographer, when I see all these skimpy pictures of, you know, people, I'm just like, oh my God, why are you doing that? Because if I take, you know, I'm, I'm more tick literate now after my experience. I just see, I'm like, check for ticks. <laughs> you know, they're everywhere. It's, you know, there's one place, there's one place in where I live, there's a trail and it's covered in pine trees and pine trees are, you know, perfect habitat for types of ticks. And I'm not kidding you, this is where my little dog Jima got um, her bite. Covered, just covered in ticks. So anywhere that if you think you haven't got ticks, you probably do. And you just are, are just not aware of them. That's the thing. It's about this is just a, an, a lesson in awareness, I guess. So, Layla, let's talk about the other changes that have occurred to you in addition to the awareness and the education that you've had. How are you different now as a consequence of having gone on this journey than you would not than you would have been had you not been on this journey? Where's the beauty in this experience? That's a great question. Um, there's always something to be learned from everything. Um, if you can stand back and find that position to learn from, you know, I think, I think I'd advocate any, I'd advocate for anybody with this because my experience with that initial doctor and having to argue that just pissed me off to my back teeth. I was furious. I was like, I shouldn't have to deal with this. I shouldn't be in this position. Neither should everybody else that's going, going through this. You shouldn't have to. That's the reason we have medical school. That's the reason we have doctors. You know, they take the Hippocratic oath to help people. 
to end up ending up having an argument about your health, about how you're feeling, is not acceptable. That is just not acceptable. Um, I think I'm more compassionate. I'm more empathetic. It's made me realise that there are far more people worse off than my experience. I mean, I I think I've come off with this pretty lightly at the moment. You know, I don't know how, how the future holds, but I'm really lucky that I caught it within a certain framework. I don't know about the Japan bite. That's that's come out of this interview. That's reflection for me, but. I, I was lucky enough to piece together that puzzle. I bet there's some people out there that don't even know it exists. You know, it, it's the same with everything. You know, it's, you can't know about everything in, in its entirety. And you've got to, you've got to have a team behind you. It's like what they say about cancer patients. You need an advocate, you need a team. You can't do it all on yourself. You need to be able to, you know, you can't get well with just one mode of, of therapeutics. It's mind, body, and spirit. You have to look after all of that. I mean, I've been very lucky in the sense that my husband has been incredibly supportive. And, you know, the, when I want to go and juice on celery, he'll go out and get me, you know, 20 bunches of celery and there's no... You know, there's no question. He doesn't call me a lunatic. He's just like, yeah, if that works for you, that's good. I'm very blessed and I am grateful. And I think that's probably part of it is, is having an understanding of how lucky I am and, and, and my gratitude for that. I could have easily ignored, I mean, I could, you know, another, another scenario could have been I could have just ignored this. And then, you know, two years on, I'm like, even more ill and I'm like what the hell is wrong with me nothing's nothing's really clear you know and then you get then you go down the road of being diagnosed with 101 things that aren't what you've got and it's bloody tick it's a bloody tick bite I think I think the protocol should be that if you've got any of these <laughs> symptoms at all you've got to check out or investigate the possibility of of Lyme or co-infection You've got to, you know. I yeah. do. So, so Leila, let me ask you our final tick boot camp uh, question. If God forbid your husband was out hiking while you were doing this interview and he came in and he found a tick biting him on his leg, what would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey? I think it's standard now. I think you need to, you need to remove the tick safely. You need to bag it up and you need to get it tested as quickly as possible. Um, I'd get antibac, I'd some for clean, clean that bite up as quickly as possible with, you know, antiseptic alcohol and anti, you know, uh, antiseptic, antiseptic antibacterial cream. And I would get on, you know, I would get onto that initial doxy straight away also at the same time i think there's relevance in saying boosting your immune system you know guess it making sure you're eating well come off alcohol for a bit you know immune boosting herbs echinacea andrographis whatever i mean there's there's thousands i mean you, 
just have a health protocol for yourself. Be aware and watch, you know, and also when you've had a fight, maybe keep a diary, you know, you're going to help yourself the most when you can present your case with as much information and details to help that doctor, that Lyme literate doctor as possible. So yeah, keep a diary, you know, if you've got a change in pain or the pain changes its presentation or pattern, note it. You know, these are all things that, that are relevant and the little details that can, that can really make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Layla Perchel-Neal. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Layla and her tick disease journey, please follow her at her Instagram page at Layla underscore Neil underscore photography. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.